again with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio, 855am on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to Think Again on Community Radio 3CR. Think Again is produced by Borderlands Cooperative, an organisation that has been dedicated to positive social change for more than 25 years. I'm Jacques Boulet and Jennifer has a day off today, so I'm talking with Lucinda Holtforth, author of a recent book with the interesting title 21st Century Virtues, How They Are Failing Our Democracy. So welcome Lucinda. Good morning, Jacques. Great to be here. Uh, you're in the park, so uh, I will alert listeners to the fact that there may be some funny noises. <laughs> Thank you. A few weeks ago, some in the 3CR studio alerted us to the fact that Lucinda's small book had been published with the rather provocative title, and I will quickly repeat it, 21st Century Virtues, How They Are Failing Our Democracy. It's published by Monash University Publishing, and the title really seemed to fit right into the spirit of Think Again. Indeed, the blurb accompanying the message I got directly and obliquely referred to the content of a number of our past programmes across our four years of programming, and from the very beginning of our podcasts, uh, and our broadcasts, sorry. So reason enough to invite author Lucinda Holtforth and have a conversation about those 21st century virtues and the damage they're doing to all of us and not just to our democracy. So Linda, Lucinda, welcome again. You trace the origin of a new set of 21st century virtues to the much-followed Brené Brown, who loves the power of vulnerability. You even bought most of her books. So please share with our listeners what you think about her new commandments, as you call them. <laughs> well, Jacques, um, my professional work is as a speechwriter, and that means I and a writer. So I notice words around the place and how they are playing out in our culture. And I noticed a few years ago a change in language that we were using. Mm-hmm. Um, and certain words started to be elevated, like vulnerability, Authenticity, transparency, uh, my truth, which may or may not be the same as the truth, (laughs) self-care, big one, humility and empathy. And what I noticed about these words is they weren't just being counted as sort of attributes amongst a range of virtues, but they had seemed to have become a new canon of virtues in and of themselves, Mm -hmm. proselytised Mm -hmm. everywhere from vice chancellors at universities to principals, to uh, corporate leaders, Mm -hmm. some politicians and more, and activists on the left as well. So I thought, well, where did these come from? And I did trace them back, the origins back to what I think was a very influential TED Talk given in 2010 by Brene Brown, who's a very pleasant American sociologist. Uh, And she started that... um, 
TED Talk by explaining that she'd noticed that she was living with the most obese, over-medicated, um, anxious, addicted and indebted cohort in American history. And she wanted to diagnose and solve this problem. And she said the problem of all these factors came down to a lack of connection and that if we shared our vulnerability with each other, we would achieve connection. So she's written books called Daring Greatly, and her idea of daring greatly is, and I quote, we must dare to show up and be seen. Another one's called Dare to Lead, and the third one is called The Gifts of Imperfection, and, and she prefaces that by saying, owning our story and loving ourselves through that process is the bravest thing we can ever do. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so what do we get if they're the virtues? in the absence of some other virtues like integrity or truthfulness, honesty, trustworthiness, civic conscience, we get a set of virtues that privilege self before society mm-hmm. and feelings above facts and reality. Mm-hmm. And I am perfectly sure that that is not good for individuals and definitely not good for our democracy. Mm-hmm. Mm, that sounds pretty... Not so much radical, but logical. <laughs> well, so, it, that's what it seemed to me, mm, but I can't tell you, Jacques, so many people mm, love Brené Brown. They mm-hmm. do her training courses. She's mm-hmm. taught at Harvard. Mm-hmm. So it seemed quite daring to even propose that mm-hmm. the goddess Brené Brown might not be all right. Well, and she has become a multimillionaire, meanwhile, I have read recently. Of course. That may have helped as well. <laughs> Uh, so I mentioned in the introductory salvo, you, you know, you start your book with, which, you know, with, which resonated really a number of times in and with our own programs. So let me quote you. On page three to four, you write, and I quote you, the cult of the self becomes ideal fodder for the predations and profiteering of neoliberalism. The larger political risk is that these forces come together in the form of a right-wing political messiah backed by unscrupulous business interests, unquote. Uh, as a well-known exponent of the Australian political right, right-wing would tell, please explain. Yes, isn't it interesting? Um, the cult of the self, this says we've moved to a state now where it's not just individualism, in the sense of um, kind of the old liberal democratic idea that the individual is free to express themselves and to make money and to succeed in society, mm-hmm. this has become a very um, narrow idea of what the self uh, deserves. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. And, the, and the self is vulnerable, needing a lot of self-care, needing a lot of self-attention. Mm-hmm. Now, um, what we see in... The big corporations now is that they have enthusiastically adopted these virtues and you have to ask yourself why mm-hmm. and of course it's they can see um, there's a lot of money to be made out of helping people do their self-care mm-hmm. uh, and it appeals to young people including those mm-hmm. you were asking me about the mm. um, the impact of uh, these virtues on the predations and profiteering mm. of neoliberalism exactly Mm-hmm. And what I would say is it's fascinating to see that these virtues of the self have been taken up so enthusiastically mm-hmm. by big companies. Yep. And their 
interest, I think, lies in, first of all, selling products. Mm -hmm. So if we have a cult of the self and self-care, then they can... They have a great deal of opportunities then mm-hmm. to sell that self-care to us. That's right. Um, it's also, I think, because they want to appeal to young workers. Corporate head offices are full of ambitious thirty-year-olds mm-hmm. who want to feel good about what they do, don't That's they? Right. So they certainly do. They do. So they want to make money and feel good. And I was one of them, so I completely understand that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's why we see the pride floats and the mental health days, Are You Okay Day. Mm-hmm. We see a lot of talk about diversity and inclusion. We hear about welcoming the whole self to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of terms that are used now in these big corporations which lead us to see them as progressive, working towards a better future and aligning themselves with the positive values of modernity. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Of, of course, there is nothing wrong with doing those things, but only if they are taking care of good governance, mm-hmm. not ripping off their customers, That's right. not ripping off their suppliers, mm-hmm. not outsourcing jobs and, and gleefully making people, people more precarious and anxious. Mm-hmm. So I mentioned Brene Brown's um, diagnosis the problem and over-medicated, indebted, anxious America and says the solution is vulnerability and connection. Mm-hmm. But other thinkers like George Monbiot have come up with a different problem mm-hmm. and a different set of solutions. And that problem is neoliberalism itself, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. you have a big, wide gap between the top 1% and the rest. Mm-hmm. In Australia, the Australia Institute said that 93% of the economic benefits of the growth surge between 2009 and 2019 went to the top percent of earners. Mm -hmm. That's where we're at with a collapse of the commons, Mm -hmm. decline in public health, decline in public education. So I see for big corporations, it's a great look over their strategy. Mm -hmm. Look over there at how good we are, what nice people we are. We Mm -hmm. welcome authenticity and inclusion. We We are kind. We are good people. Meanwhile, the real problems are being ignored. Um, And I don't think it's a coincidence that when the Labor government came into power in Canberra, the first thing they had to do was set up an ICAC. Mm. And the second thing that happened was a royal commission discovered immensely terrible corruption in the robo-debt inquiry. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I... um, And and what's the political influence? The political influence ultimately is that if we start losing sight of what matters in a democracy, probity, mm-hmm. honesty, freedom of speech, um, accountability and, and political transparency, then we become very vulnerable mm-hmm. to the right-wing messiah, to the fraudster, to the snake oil salesman. Mm-hmm. And that's really the concern at the heart of my book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when Brennan says that we should celebrate our vulnerability, she basically also is saying that we should celebrate the system uh, which we inhabit and which, in a way, makes us vulnerable. Absolutely. It's mm, quite extraordinary, isn't it? There's a lot of circularity it? there. Oh, there is mm. a lot of... <laughs> My goodness. There is indeed. My mm. goodness, exactly. Mm. You're listening to Think Again, 3CR 855 AM on your dial, 3CR digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. So today we're having a conversation with Lucinda Holtworth about the overlaps and convergences 
between her just published book about 21st century virtues and our own work and thinking at Think Again. So, back to you, Lucina. One of my bête noires in this new virtuous vocabulary is self-care. At Borderlands, we work a lot with social work students, and I'm a sort of social worker myself from the, all the way, the way back. And on the practical placements, they often have to deal and they have a requirement to think about the need for self-care and why that's important in their professional practice of caring for others. As I know that some of them are listening now as we are speaking, help me enlighten them. Ah, uh, yes. Well, self-care is, self-care is, 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 is not a bad uh, objective in itself. In fact, it's incumbent upon us as citizens, if we are privileged, as I am, to take care of ourselves mentally and physically and spiritually as best as we can mm-hmm. so that we can flourish properly as human beings. Mm-hmm. And um, that is nothing less than the sort of duty of a citizen in a community where we all kind of have to carry, play our part, carry our mm-hmm. load as best That's we right. can. Mm-hmm. But this new virtue, when self-care is elevated to, the, to an ideal, to a virtue in itself, mm-hmm. it leads me to ask this question, how much self-care is enough? Mm-hmm. Is there any end to self-care? Is there any point at all in which self-care becomes just plain old selfishness? Mm-hmm. And the other question I ask is, there are people, I live in Redfern in Sydney, there are people who will never self-care properly. Mm-hmm. They can't. They have their life circumstances, their physical health, their economic circumstances mean that they will often engage in extremely counterproductive behaviours. Mm-hmm. So I've spent time in hospitals and around hospitals and there's always some old guy sitting out in a wheelchair, scraggy, with some kind of mask over his face, who has a cigarette in his right hand. Now, that is a doctor's nightmare. Mm. In, in an era where you say that virtue relies on self-care, then that guy just is automatically consigned to the unvirtue column. Exactly. And it, in that, mm-hmm. it, it, gives, it gives health practitioners and others a right to, um, well, I don't know whether I would say look down on them, but certainly mentally consign them to the other column. Mm. And I don't want to live in that society. I think mm. it's uh, I think it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would totally agree with you, <laughs> particularly also <laughs> as a sociologist, which Bernice seems to be. It's a very strange kind of sociology, I must say. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, look, and perhaps, you know, she has other thoughts on these things and that those sort of initial ideas mm-hmm. got so taken up. Mm-hmm. I can't speak for her, of course. No. Um, but I can speak for myself and what what I see, and I, you know, I don't want to, to tell people what to think. I just want to ask people to think about these things. Mm-hmm, that's right. So we have done a few recent programs on class and its relevance in present-day capitalist society, and I really like your take on the personal labels which now are being used to identify yourself. Could you again enlighten us a bit more about that? Well, this is a really interesting development in the culture, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. When I was growing up, class was still an issue. Mm-hmm. I knew what class I was in. I was in the kind of lower middle class. I had an aspirational mother, and class still mattered. We all knew what class meant, mm-hmm. and it meant that if you were uh, in the working class or even an underclass, you were you were disadvantaged, and that that disadvantage would travel with you through life. Mm-hmm. 
now we've seen there's been a lot of good progress in understanding the sort of barriers to progress that people face and what what some call intersectional barriers. Mm -hmm. So you might mm -hmm. be from a working class family that's also a migrant family. You might be a person of colour, um, and and these things do compound. There's no question about that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I can see the positives of people interested in identifying, you know, speaking proudly. There's a sort of movement to say, I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud I'm queer. I'm, I'm a proud person of colour. I understand. I can, I can sympathise with that position. Um, but in the long run, I, I feel that we must move past that and we mustn't lose sight of that class is still the major source of socioeconomic disadvantage. And mm -hmm. it's the most practical way politically to look at finding solutions. If you are looking at the broad realms of class and what to do, then you know you have to invest in a public health system and, most importantly, a public education system. Mm -hmm. There's no getting around that. So someone can call themselves uh, labels, and that is yet again a personal choice and a sort of personal perspective on your position in the world. Mm -hmm. But most of us live <laughs> in a world of greater or lesser advantage mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. politically and for social change we must not lose sight of that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, can, I think I really would agree with quite a bit of that <laughs> and that uh, whilst it is all very confusing the way in which we want to honour people's understanding of themselves and their place in, uh, in real life daily, institutionally and on a global scale it is really important to look at those really strong common uh, reasons or underlying kind of forces which keep us in our place, so to speak. Absolutely, yes, mm. and yeah, and I, and I, you know, I was taken by um, the the phrase from a philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, which he said mm -hmm. when he said, "When you label me, you negate me." Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. history is full of occasions That's where right. people have been labelled, and the labelling is then an argument for oppression, mm -hmm. for exclusion, mm -hmm. for rejection. Mm -hmm. And those who know history, know yes. about the Second World War, know what happened to the Jewish people, mm -hmm. who were actually forcibly labelled yes. tattoos. That's right. Uh, can understand, it, it can be understood why you would take a very cautious look at this idea of labelling as in itself an overwhelmingly mm. good thing. Yes, I would agree. And since we were talking about class just before, it's just a small step for us to widen the perspective to capitalism and the role yes. neoliberalism has played in all of this. You refer to true believer American economist Martin Wolf. Uh, he wrote Crisis of Democratic Capitalism. Oh, that's the noises of Sydney intruding. That is an aircraft, uh, oh. alas, Jacques. I'm sorry this has <laughs> been sorry. one of those interviews for you. I'm so sorry. No worries. I can hear you perfectly. Yeah. So, uh, the Martin Wolf's crisis of democratic capitalism, what is his take on this? And what do you take from that in addition to what you've already, already shared with us? Well, it was really interesting to me because... There's Georges Monbiot, he's, you know, a climate activist, he writes for The Guardian, he's your kind of classic lefty progressive. Mm. And he's very anxious about, uh, he links in his writings the impact of capitalism, mm -hmm. obviously, neoliberalism on our environment. Mm -hmm. So that's his worldview. 
Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. even more interested when somebody who's a, a writer for the Financial Times, the great conservative newspaper yes. of London, Martin Wolf. Yes. I, you know, beloved, I worked in big companies. The chairs of very big Australian companies read Martin Wolf religiously, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is not someone who's a darling of the left. It's someone no, a darling of... Yes, they're right. <laughs> and he's written an enormous book called The yeah, Crisis five, of Democratic Capitalism. <laughs> yes, huge. And his fundamental point is that um, that this sort of illiberalism that has crept in, uh, it's it's fundamental where we where we have gotten to in our society in in uh, uh, just trying to remember his exact phrase, but he basically said that neoliberalism. That's right. He called it laissez-faire capitalism, which mm-hmm. is you know the same term, different language. That's right. He said it is fundamentally incompatible with liberal democracy. Mm-hmm. Now that is a pretty big statement. Mm-hmm. I think that both he and George Monbiot are right. Mm-hmm. And I think we need a very... That is why I wanted to write this book. I wanted to say, let's have a look at this and mm-hmm. see... People think that they're being virtuous, they've got all these lovely, kind, good virtues, whilst we sleepwalk mm-hmm. into a really even darker era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, that you certainly make your point very well in, uh, in most of the book. It, as I said before, it really resonates with a variety of the themes we have been talking about in uh, in our past programs and we certainly will be talking about again in the future. We're really getting very close to the end of our program. Uh, thank you for jo- joining us uh, and sitting in a park for sitting in a park and <laughs> <laughs> we've had everything go wrong Jacques but we've still had a beautiful conversation and thank you so much for inviting me to do so. It was lovely to talk and to actually do that across about a thousand kilometres of... of (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) So uh, we've come to the close of our, and to the end of our conversation about 21st century virtues and what what they're doing to us all, personally in our daily relational lives and living in our organisations and in the way in which our political and economic systems are run. So thank you, Lucinda, for writing the book and taking time out to share your thoughts with our listeners. And again, as you said, apologies to the listeners for the interruption. We'll put the details of the book on our program page. Uh, briefly, uh, one uh, announcement, we, a repeated announcement really, Borderlands is organizing a series of talks about alternative ways of thinking about and doing our economy. And our first meeting uh, will be the 7th of September, Thursday, 7.30 to 9. Uh, in the evening uh, at 30A Pickett Street in uh, Footscray, which is the new home of Borderlands. And that will be followed by a variety of other uh, topics in that same realm uh, in each first Thursday of uh, the next coming months, and it will be going on into the uh, next year. Thanks for listening to Think Again on 3CR Community Radio with Jacques Boulet today with Lucinda Holtforth. Remember, if you want to send us a message or ask about anything from today's program, 
uh, you can email Borderlands at borders at borderlands.org.au. Just put Think Again in the subject line. Our programs are available by podcast via your preferred podcast app and on the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for the following program, Jailbreak, which gives a voice to prison inmates, their families and friends. And to bring us into this program, we have Milkomana by Stingray. Milkomana! You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.